Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? We're glad you're here. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Um, Kevin's going to read the scripture uh, before we do the music, but um, I want to open us up in a word of prayer. Let's stand for that. Father God, I just thank you so much for what you have done for us this week, what you're going to do for us. Lord, as uh, Andrea and all those that are helping out with uh, children's camp today, I pray that you will just be with them this week, uh, that your word will be preached, that many will come to know you as their personal Savior. Uh, Protect them, guide them, give them um, wisdom and patience as they uh, interact with all these children. I thank you so much. Uh, just for what you have done in our lives, and we just love you and bless you and honor you um, with our lives. I pray sings your name. Amen. When Jordan said Kevin was going to read a scripture this morning, Kevin Landers looked at me and said, he talking about you? (laughs) Um, Hey, before I read scripture, uh, you guys will notice in a minute our bass guitar player, will not be with us this morning, and uh, we got a text this morning, and of all things, he was bitten by a cat yesterday afternoon, and he said his hand is swelling up, and uh, infection is setting in, so you guys just pray for him. That's That's an odd thing. You don't get that prayer request every day, but the guy was bitten by a cat, and so just pray for him, but um, guys, this morning, um, I want to think about um, honesty before the Lord, honesty before the Lord. Twice now in the past um, few weeks, um, I've been reminded from scriptures that the Lord wants us to be honest with him when we come to him with needs and um, the state of our life and, and just the things, that, that asking him for supplication, that kind of thing. He wants us to be honest. And uh, I want to read from Psalm 145, verse 8 through 18. It says, The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are uh, falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. Sorry, guys. iPhones. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So this morning, um, as you guys can be seated, we're going to start out the song this morning with a song that's called, Here's My Heart. And it deals with that whole issue of, Lord, here I am. Um, All my weaknesses, all my frailties, um, all that I can't bring to your table, here I am, uh, just as I am. And uh, this song talks about who God is and who he has made us to be. So just let this minister to your soul.
and sing King of Glory what is true is that we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords he's given it all for us and uh, let's worship him together this morning King of Glory who is this King of Glory that pursues me with his love and haunts me with each hearing with his softly spoken words my conscience a reminder of forgiveness that I need who is this king of glory offers it to me. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Precious Jesus. Lord Almighty. The King of my heart. The King of glory. It's like, who is this King of angels? Who is this King of Angels? Oh, blessed Prince of Peace, revealing things of heaven and all its mysteries. My spirits live longing for His grace in which to stand. King of glory, the Son of God and Son of Man. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Jesus, Lord Who is this King of Glory? Who is this King of Glory? With strength and majesty, and wisdom beyond measure, gracious King of Kings, the Lord of Earth.
precious Jesus, Lord Almighty, the King of my heart, the King of glory. His name is Jesus, precious Jesus, Lord Almighty, the King of my heart, the King of glory. There's that note. Sing this together. stand amazed. Sweat drops of blood for mine. 
took my sins and my sorrows he made them as very in glory His face I at last shall see T'will be my joy through the ages to sing of His love for me How marvelous How wonderful And my song shall be Thank you guys. Appreciate that this morning. Well, you are looking at the slide, aren't you, right? I was going to say, man, I get up here, they start laughing. I'm not even talking yet. Oh, my goodness. This is... Um, quite a chapter we're going to today. Um, if there is one thing that I've learned in studying Jonah, it's that it's not a children's story. Huh. It's treated that way. Uh, it's treated like uh, a story that really only children need to be interested in, but and I'm, I'm starting to believe it may be one of the most important books in the Old Testament. That sounds weird, I know, probably. You're going, that, are you nuts? <laughs> what about Daniel? What about Genesis? Um, I'm going to tell you this morning that you may walk away here today and disagree with me. And that'll be all right. I'm good with that. Um, I found that when you come to chapters like Jonah chapter 2, there's differing thoughts. You know, when I was younger, I wasn't real good with that. But as I've gotten older, I'm good with that. Um, now, when it comes to, sound, to important doctrine like the deity of Christ and the virgin birth of Christ, I'm not good with people being separate in that. But when it comes to Jonah chapter 2, I think there's a lot of things to consider. Like, for example, uh, did Jonah die or did he not die? 
You ever thought about that? Well, we'll talk about that today. How in the world did he survive in the belly of that fish? God. You know, people have tried to come up with scientific reasons for how Jonah could have survived, you know, and it's like, hold on a second. How did the Lord heal the blind man? Or the deaf man? Or the man that couldn't walk? Can't we just say it was Jesus? He did it? I mean, isn't that enough? I look at it and I go, why are people arguing about this? It's enough that Jesus did it. And it's enough for me that God just provided Jonah with just the right kind of fish to survive in. And it's obvious that Jonah knew he was alive in that fish. Verse 1 tells us that. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And so then we have the prayer. I've given you an outline. I hope you take notice of that because it's in your bulletin. You're really going to need it. That's basically the extent of my PowerPoint other than the verses in Jonah chapter 2. I found that it was good just to type things out for you and give it to you. And then I'll refer to some other things as we go through the study. But I want you to see verse 1. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. That's verse 1. So we have two things that are important in verse 1. Number 1, the prayer was directed to who? The Lord and what's that next little phrase? The Lord, his God. Now you're going to find on your handout on the back of it, there are three uh, sections there with questions, things to think about. Now that's going to take you all afternoon and tomorrow to do that, all right? Just a lot of things that come up there from uh, the study of chapter 2. But the first thing that we see is that Jonah directed his prayer to the Lord, his God. His God. So it, it, it demands the question, is the Lord your God? Yeah, you have to think about that. Is the Lord your God? What evidence in your life would say that the Lord is your God? Um, I want you to notice also that he prayed from the stomach of the fish. That's where he prayed. From the stomach of the fish. So it's pretty clear to me that Jonah was alive because he's praying in the stomach of the fish. Um, to be fair, uh, there are some guys, and I'm not going to tell you who the men are, because if I do, then you're going to form your opinions based on the men I tell you. So I'm not going to do that. You study it yourself. Um, one, there's one man, and there's two or three that believe that Jonah was, in fact, dead. That he did die, but that he was raised. Um, one comments uh, like this, out of the belly of hell cried I. The New Schofield Reference Bible translates this out of the belly of Sheol. And that certainly is accurate for that is the original Hebrew word. Sheol is sometimes translated in scripture by the word grave and in other places as the unseen world, meaning where the dead go. This is a word that any way you look at it has to do with death. However, we're going to see in a few minutes that sometimes Sheol 
Um, it's used as hyperbole. It is a word that always goes to the cemetery, and you cannot take it anywhere else. Therefore, says this theologian that all of you would like and have heard preach, my interpretation of what Jonah is saying is that the belly of the fish was his grave. And a grave is a place for the dead. You do not put a live man in a grave. Jonah recognized that he was going to die inside the fish and that God would hear him and raise him from the dead. And then he links his argument to a passage you need to turn to in Matthew chapter 12. I want to show you this. It's important that I show you the basis of his argument. And not only his, but a few. And maybe even some in here. Um, verse 38 of Matthew 12. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he, said, he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now that's very significant that the Lord would refer to Jonah. Especially considering the fact that um, people try to take that book apart and say, ah, there's absolutely no way, this is a fairy tale, no way this could have happened. But the Lord himself acknowledges Jonah and the story of Jonah. Notice what he says, yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster. Now what's, the, what's his emphasis there? Is it on Jonah's death or is it on the time he spent in the fish? I would argue it's the time that he spent in the fish. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so there are a few theologians who I respect highly that believe Jonah did die. And they would say that what follows is Jonah's account um, after he regains, uh, after he um, writes the book of what took place. Uh, I would say that verses 2 through 7 recount what takes place in the water before Jonah comes to be swallowed by this big fish. Um, so verse 1 talks about the direction of Jonah's prayer. And then we uh, look at verses 2 through 2 and uh, 7 and we see the cry of the prophet. Look at verse 2. He says, I called out of my distress, underline that word, distress, to the Lord and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. Then look at verse 7. He says it again. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Wouldn't it have been nice if Jonah would have remembered the Lord before now? I mean, when the Lord calls him to go to Nineveh, you don't see Jonah praying, saying, Lord, you know, I really need your help now as I go to Nineveh. You certainly don't see him praying in the first chapter when he's on that boat. Well, the sailors are, but he's not. It would have been nice for Jonah to do that, but he didn't. So the Bible tells us that he cries out to the Lord in those moments on death's doorstep, is kind of how I phrase it. As Jonah recalls these moments, he testifies as to what happens on the doorstep of death and that's what we have in verses 2 through 7. So we see that in Jonah's cry, you have the anguish of the prophet. Let's verse 2. Look what he says. I called out of my distress. 
Now, what word appears in that word distress? There's another word in there. Stress. Any of you ever been stressed? Nah. You ever been stressed? I mean, what brings on stress? Well, for the believer, you know, many times disobedience can bring on stress. Did you know that? The prophet was in the midst of what? Disobedience. What did the Lord told him to do? Go to Nineveh. He's like, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Those are our enemies. I know how you're going to handle them, and I don't want that. That sounds awful, but that's revealed in chapter 4 with Jonah. And so you have here the anguish of the prophet, and I would, like to, I would argue that the anguish that sometimes happens in our lives is a direct result of disobedience. And so the Bible tells us that Jonah calls out of his anguish um, as one theologian put it, Jonah was on the threshold of death and recalls as he's looking back, as he's in that fish, looking back at what happened. Jonah was on the threshold of death and recalls crying out to the one, the only one that could save him. Hey guys, you know, it reminds me of somebody else in the New Testament. His name's Peter. Peter. You remember Peter? And he's on the water and who does he cry out to? The apostles? No. He cries out to who? He cries out to the only one that could save him. And it certainly appears, as the theologian continues to write, from the text that Jonah's refuge came in the form of a great fish. That indeed his refuge was the fish. The water seemed to be his stress. But the refuge was his fish. And the text certainly seems to indicate that. Look, look at the stress that is given to us here in the text. Look what he says. I called out of my distress to the Lord. He answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. Look, here it is. Look at this. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all your breakers and your waves passed over me. Can you imagine what that must have been like for the prophet? So I said, I've been expelled from your side. I mean, he's right on the precipice of death, and he knows it. But look what he says. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. To the point of death. Not death, but to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Man, how, much, how must have this guy looked? I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever, which is a phrase pointing to impending death. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. So as you read through that, man, there's a lot going on there, right? In the water, a lot going on with Jonah. A lot that he remembered as he was thrown overboard. So you have the anguish of the prophet, then you have the location of the prophet's cry. Notice what it says, verse 2, I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. You know, in commenting, I gave you this in your notes, in commenting on the reference to Sheol or the grave, John Walford wrote, the phrase from the depths of Sheol refers to the fear of death that gripped the prophet while he was in the water. John MacArthur wrote in his commentary on Jonah, the word Sheol is used as hyperbole at times in context where it denotes a catastrophic condition near death. Later, Jonah expressed praise for his deliverance from the pit speaking of his escape from death. And let me give you some examples. There are some examples of hyperbole used 
in relationship to the term Sheol. Psalm 18, verse 5. Psalm 116, verse 3. 2 Samuel 22, 6. I want you to turn there real quick. 2 Samuel 22, 6 is another example where the word hyperbole, uh, where the word Sheol is used, but it's used to exaggerate, to make a point. In David's Psalm of Deliverance, this is what he wrote, verse 1. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. Now he uses that to make a point. To illustrate the desperate situation. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God. And that's exactly what we find Jonah doing here. In Jonah uh, chapter 2. And so you have Jonah crying out as he's in the water, as he's on the precipice of death, and the Lord answered him. And as he writes this, as he's in that fish, recalling the events, what does he say? He answered me. He answered me. Verse 2, you heard my voice. Now notice all that's past tense. You heard my voice. Right? He answered me, past tense. Well, do you think that Jonah expected the answer in the form of this fish? I don't think so. But we know that he was conscious in the fish because the Bible says, verse 1, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. You know, some have asked the question, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder, I just wonder if as Jonah's in that fish... After he's been there, because we know he's in there three days and three nights. At some point in that, did he think, I'm getting out of here. God's not done with me. I don't know. But it's a, it's a question that many theologians raise, and it's interesting, they can't answer the question. But they raise it. So you have here the location of the prophet's cry. You have the anguish of the prophet. So we move from the cry of the prophet to the knowledge of of the prophet. Now that might look like a, um, like, okay, Thad, what in the world are you talking about? The knowledge of the prophet. But I want to argue that from the text we're told that the prophet knew the Lord and he knew him very well. But you know, a person can know the Lord God very well and be disobedient. True or false? True. Just because someone knows the Word of God doesn't mean that they're going to walk in fellowship with the Lord every day. Paul said he was the chief of sinners, right? He did. He acknowledged that in Romans. The Bible tells us that. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul understood. Hey, look, every day when I get up and I look in the mirror, I go, man, I'm a wretched dude. And sometimes that wretchedness can take over, can it, in our lives? We're not allowing the Spirit of God to control us. Well, 
Just because you know the Lord doesn't mean you're always walking in obedience. In fact, the challenge in the Christian life is to walk in obedience. But I want you to notice the theology of Jonah. <laughs> Jonah had good theology. <laughs> he had good theology. Uh, do you know what theology is? Sound doctrine. He understood God's word. He understood God. He understood who he was. Um, the text reveals how well Jonah knew the Lord. And the question comes up, well, what did he know about the Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, he knew that the Lord was sovereign. You say, where in the world do you get that? Let me show you. Look, verse 3. For you had cast me into the deep. Hold on a second. Who threw Jonah overboard? Yeah, the men on the ship. Who threw Jonah overboard? The Lord. Both. The Lord used those sailors to throw that man, his prophet, overboard. He's sovereign. You believe he's sovereign? You believe he's in control? And listen, sometimes things look like they're out of control. But the Lord's in control. He knows everything that's going on in your life and in my life. All right, we need to take comfort in that. He knew exactly what was going on with Jonah. Not only did he know the Lord was sovereign, but he knew the Lord was the creator. There's one that needs to be affirmed today. Look at this. Verse 3. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and waves passed over me. Your breakers and what? Your waves. You're the creator. Well, Jonah knew that. Why you like, hey man, why did this guy disobey if he knows all this stuff? Why do we disobey when we know all this stuff? He knew the Lord was the creator. This week, we moved our middle son to Augusta, Georgia. You guys know what's in Augusta, Georgia? If you don't, let me tell you. It's the home of the master's means nothing to probably some of you guys, but I told Micah when he moved to Augusta, he, he's the head assistant coach at Augusta University, I told him, I said, son, your mother and your father raised you. <laughs> we were good to you. When he was 13 years old, he took my truck. Although he wasn't able to drive, I remember sitting at the table one day, he said, dad, I want that truck one day. Well, guess what happened? He got that truck. Right? And so I remind him of all the many blessings that he has in having his father and his mother. I said, listen, son, if you get tickets given to you, to the masters, I'm coming. But this week we were moving him, and one day they were having some thunderstorms off in the distance, and there's this rainbow, and it was beautiful. And I'm like, man, Lord, I'm sorry what they've done to your rainbow here on earth. It's certainly, <laughs> it's blasphemous. But Lord, I'm thankful to know that that's your promise. That you'll never again destroy the earth by flood. You've promised that. Well, the world's going to be destroyed again, but it's going to be destroyed by fire. Well, Jonah knew the Lord was the creator. He also knew the Lord was the redeemer. He's the savior. <laughs> and by the way, he's the only savior. Verses 6 and verse 9 tell us that. He says, I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. 
But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. You did that. (laughs) Who brought your life up from the pit? The Lord God did. That's who. You remember that day whenever you were convicted of your sin? You remember that? The Spirit of God, can, you may not have been able to put it in all the right words at that time, but all you knew at that moment was you were convicted of your sin. And you understood that Jesus Christ paid it all. He paid for all of your sin. And, and did you remember it going, wow! You mean He died for me? He took my place? Jonah gives credit to the Lord. You have brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. Then verse 9, notice what he says. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. What is from the Lord? Salvation's from the Lord. I don't know that in the context of the passage, Jonah's not just talking about the fact that the Lord provided salvation through this fish. <laughs> I'm not so certain that's exactly what Jonah's saying there. He rescued him. And Jonah's giving credit to the Lord. Lord, you rescued me. And it's the same for sinners. The Lord rescues sinners. That's what he does. So, in the theology, in the theology of Jonah, we see that he knew the Lord was sovereign. He knew the Lord was creator. He knew the Lord was redeemer or savior. He knew of the Lord's holiness. You say, where do you get that? Look at this passage. Look verse 4. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Look at this. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your what temple? Your holy temple. Your holy temple. Verse 7. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your what? Your holy temple. Being in the presence of the Lord is being in the presence of what? Holiness. We have that wonderful example to us in the book of Isaiah Isaiah cries out, and, he's, and the angels, excuse me, the seraphim cry out, and they say what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So he knew of the holiness of God. He knew that being in the presence of God was being in the presence of holiness. And that's what he tells us in verse 4 and verse 7. So he talks about his holiness. He talks about the fact that he's Savior, that he's Creator, that he's Sovereign. But he also, Jonah also, and I thought this is an interesting point, Jonah knew he was secure in the Lord. Now, he wasn't in fellowship with the Lord when he was going down, but he knew, he knew of his relationship with the Lord. You say, where did you get that? Look at verse 4. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. I will. I'm confident of that. Are you confident of that? Are you confident that when you die that you're going to be in the presence of the Lord whether Jonah is referring to the temple in Jerusalem or into the presence of the Lord I don't know it doesn't tell us I believe he's talking about being in the presence of the Lord because as he's writing and reflecting and looking back man this looked like a hopeless cause but the Lord rescued him and he says I will look again toward your holy temple he was confident in that he was secure in his relationship with the Lord I put in your um, notes for your consideration this afternoon. Are you confident you will be in the presence of the Lord when you die?
Do you know that without a shadow of a doubt? What scriptures give us further insight into the security of the believer? Because the security of the believer is very important. It's an important doctrine. I mean, there are a lot of people that walk around going, wow, I hope I'm still saved. What do you mean you hope you're still saved? When you come to Christ, when you come to faith in Christ as your Savior, you know what? You're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until when? Until the day of redemption. He does it. You know, a lot of people want to base eternal security on what they do. It's not on what you do or what I do. It's what God has done. Um, I put here is one security in Christ based on good works of the work the Lord did in your life at the point of salvation. And then I follow that up with, are you fully aware of what the Spirit's role in your life is as a believer? That at the point of salvation, the Spirit of the living God entered you. Isn't that amazing? He resides in you. Um, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So there's so much here that Jonah conveys in terms of his confidence of his relationship. But Jonah's theology goes beyond chapter 2. I want you to turn over to chapter 4, verse 2. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks. But I want to show you this, chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah not only knew that the Lord was sovereign and creator and redeemer and holy, and he was secure in the Lord, he was held on to by the Lord, but he also knew some of these things. Look, look at this, chapter 4. Of Jonah, verse 2, it says, He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, uh, therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarsh, for I knew that you, look at that, I knew. I read that, I thought, what do you know about the Lord? If I was to walk up to you after church and say, what do you know about the Lord? How are you answering that? You walk up to me and ask me that question. How am I answering that? Is it based on how I feel or is it based on objective truth? It's not how I feel. It's based on objective truth. Jonah knew. Personally knew. He says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Boy, did he know that. Right? He thought he was expelled from the sight of the Lord. Man, he knew of the compassion of the Lord. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, you could read this book and go, man, Jonah, if you had just obeyed, things would have gone well. That's true of my life. I'm thankful for the mercy of the Lord. As I read this book, I'm like, man, Lord, I'm thankful for your compassion and your mercy and your loving kindness. And Jonah says, you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger. How many of you are slow to anger? No hands. You know, and there's some wisdom literature for us to consider on that. And I just want to give that to you. This is not in my notes. But I want to read this to you guys. James chapter 1. This you know, my beloved brethren. At least he starts out, this you know, my beloved brethren. <laughs> but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to what? Anger. Aren't you glad the Lord is slow to anger? 
I want to tell you what Jonah was. Now, he didn't want that grace and all that extended to his enemies. And we're going to learn more about that next week, who those guys were. But he didn't want any of that. Guys, the gospel is for everyone. Brown, yellow, white, blue, whatever the color. Remember singing the song when you were a kid? Jesus loves the little children of the world. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jonah needed to hear that song, didn't he? But he knew the Lord. His theology was strong. Not only did he have a strong theology, but I would argue that he knew the Word of God. He said, Thou, where in the world are you getting all that? That's what happens. I spent four and a half weeks just studying this chapter. Man, there's so much in here. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, in Jonah's psalm, and some theologians call this his psalm, he quotes from Psalm 18, from Psalm 30, from Psalm 31, from Psalm 42, from Psalm 69, from Psalm 120, from Psalm 130, and from Psalm 142. Wow. In fact, you could just do a study in this chapter on his knowledge of the Psalms. He knew the Word. You're like, man, if he, if he had a, such a strong theology and he knew the Word, why didn't he obey? But then what do we have to do when we ask that question? Thad has to look right in the mirror and say, well, Lord, I have a pretty strong theology and I know your Word and there's times I'm disobedient. How about you? In fact, Psalm 30, verses 2 and 3, part of what Jonah quotes. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. What do we find Jonah doing? Crying to the Lord for what? Help. Oh, Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You've kept me alive. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So Jonah had a strong theology he knew the word of God. And this is because his prophet had knowledge of the Lord his God. Well, then we turn to the fourth point, the turning of Jonah. We see that in verses 8 and verse 9. Verses 8 and 9. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Well, that makes sense. He says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay, salvation is from the Lord. So the first thing that we see here is that the prophet promised to sacrifice with thankfulness to the Lord. And then the question becomes, what's he talking about? Is he talking about a sacrifice he would make in Jerusalem? Looking, right? Or is he talking about the sacrifice of his own life? I kind of believe he's talking about the sacrifice of his own life. I will sacrifice to you. Notice the direction of the sacrifice. I will sacrifice to you. Notice the attitude of the sacrifice with the voice of what? Thanksgiving. So when we think about sacrifice of the believer, we have to think in terms of Romans chapter 12, 
verses 1 and 2. I want you to turn there with me. Look at this. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Turn with me in your Bibles there. Jonah says, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. What's the sacrifice that you and I are to make? Ourselves. In fact, uh, there's a parenthesis between chapters 9 through 11. So it's best read starting from the end of chapter 8. Because in 9 through 11, he's dealing with Israel. In chapter 8, at the end of the chapter, really goes from chapter 8 at the end to chapter 12, verse 1. Just listen to how well this flows. Verse 31 of uh, chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him... Over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Well, nobody will. Look what it says. Will tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution, no. Famine, no. Nakedness, no. Peril, no. Sword, no. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who, what? Loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. And then you go to chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, hey, because you and I cannot be separated from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing can do that. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, because <laughs> that's great news. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a what? A living and holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So when one says, how do we worship? We work as, worship through sacrificing ourselves. Just as it's the picture of Abraham and him laying Isaac on the altar. He's willing to sacrifice his own son. The Lord will provide with his mind. Guys, listen. We, as believers, we lay our lives on the altar and we say, the Lord is free to do with me as he pleases. So Jonah, in this passage, promises to sacrifice to the Lord with thankfulness. But then also, notice that the prophet made a vow to the Lord and promised to pay. And look what it says. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed... I will pay. Do you notice something? We're not told what he vowed. What was that vow? What was that promise he made? Did he make a promise? Hey, Lord, I'll go to Nineveh. What's that promise? Because it certainly doesn't appear like Jonah has got the best attitude going through the rest of the book. That which I vowed I will pay he says, so whatever the vow was, he promised to the Lord that he would pay it. 
And then he says, salvation is from the Lord, which leads to verse 10. The heaving of Jonah. That's what I have as the last point. The heaving of Jonah. Notice there's two things here. Number one, the Lord commanded the fish. You know, it's interesting in Scripture how the Lord uses his creation, isn't it? You have Balaam's donkey, and you go, man, okay. And then you have this fish that was prepared, as 117 tells us. The Lord commanded the fish, the fish that he had prepared for Jonah. And it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Question. What did Jonah look like? The acidity in the fish. You know, there's a song that's sung years ago. Beach, baby, beach, baby. You remember, you guys remember that song? So I called Jonah, beach, baby, beach, baby. Bleach, baby, bleach, baby. Imagine what he looked like coming out. As we get to next week, we're going to see that there's a city that repents. I'm like, what did that prophet look like when he walked into that city? I know this, when the prophet walked in that city, he knew who the Lord was. And he knew what the Lord wanted him to do. Now how crazy about it was he? The text seems to lend itself to the fact that Jonah wasn't real pleased in chapter 4. You know, guys, it reminded me of when I was first called to the ministry. And the opportunities for ministry came up in two churches. Two churches were interested. One was in Del Rio, Texas. I don't even know where that is. It's way down. There's a lot of tacos probably in Del Rio. And the other one was in Green, New York. I had no idea where that was either. I had to look up both churches on the map. They've sent me letters. We're interested in you coming to interview. And so I remember telling Teresa, south or really north? You know, it wouldn't have mattered where the Lord took me. Because my message would have been the same. Guys, it doesn't matter where the Lord takes you in life. The message is the same. It was the same for Jonah. And it's the same for us. Well, you're going to walk away from here today going, Well, I believe he died. Great. You know, I don't see that. You may walk away from here today going, well, his stress was in the fish. Well, there probably was some stress in the fish, but he was in there for three days and three nights. I know this, in my life and your life, there is stress when there's disobedience. So our prayer needs to be, Lord, help me not to have to learn the hard way like this prophet. Help me to fall under your guidance every single day
And help me, Lord, to be led by your spirit and not by my flesh. All right, let's pray together. Lord, there's a lot to consider here in this chapter. And as I look at it, I have to confess, Lord, I, I don't know. Did he die? Did he not die? It doesn't take away from the picture of him being in the belly three days and three nights and you being in the earth three days and three nights. I don't know, Lord, um, if the stress was completely in the water or a little bit in the water and a little bit in the fish. I don't know. But I know this. This prophet who ran from you knew you. And this prophet that was running from you certainly had an experience <laughs> that had an impact in the lives of people as we're going to see next week. Lord, you don't always do things the way that we think they should be done. You work in mysterious ways. And as I read this chapter, as I've studied this chapter, I just go, man, I serve a God who is just past finding out. There's, there's things that you do, Lord, that I just shake my head and I go, wow. I don't know how Jonah survived in that fish other than you. Because, Lord, I know this. Every breath I take is only because of you. So there's things in here that we can learn. We can learn, Lord, that First of all, we just should be obedient. That's the better road. But if we are disobedient, help us to know, Lord, that just as Hebrews tells us, you chasten your children. You come after them. So there's really no moments of rest. The rest is found in obedience. So I pray that we would learn the importance of obedience through this chapter. That we would learn, Lord, the importance of sound theology. That it's very important to understand who we believe in and what we believe. So that we're able to share with others about the hope that we have in knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Lord, I'm thankful you're a God of second chances. <laughs> you know, easily Jonah could have died and been in your presence. He was confident of that. But Lord, you weren't done with him. And I take great comfort in that. Lord, it's apparent that every one of us in here that know you, that are sitting here or standing here right now, you're not done with us. There's something you want us to do. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk in step with that. Lord, there's also the lesson here in the book of Jonah that... He was willing, even maybe <laughs> though he didn't have the greatest mind for this. In fact, some theologians don't even believe there was any remorse. At least, Lord, he knew he needed to look to you. I pray, Lord, that we would, in the times of stress, that many times are brought on by our, by our own selves, that we would look to you that we would be able to call out to the Lord our God and say, Lord, I'm in this mess. 
When I got myself in this mess, Lord, I know you're a God that can fix the mess. You can take the things that are all crumbled up and you can make a beautiful picture out of that. So I pray, Lord, that we would not feel like, hey, God's done with us, even though we might not be walking the path that we need to right now. But Lord, I pray you would help us to know that you're a God of forgiveness. And that if we're not in that fellowship with you, that we would confess that, knowing, Lord, that you forgive us because we want to be used by you for your glory and for your honor. I pray you would help us to learn from this prophet of old. I pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. just take a few moments in the quietness of your own heart and um, express gratitude for, for, for what he's done in your life. the splendor of a king the splendor of a king clothed in majesty let all the earth rejoice all the earth rejoice he wraps himself in light and dark tries to hide and trembles at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great is our God to age he stands and time is in his hands beginning and the end beginning and the end the Godhead three in one Father, Spirit and Son Lion above all names.
quick if you are visiting with us and um, you want to know more about our church we have this uh, brochure that's in the back of the chairs over here and we just like you to fill it out with your information and August 11th we are going to have a lunch for you guys and just to inform you more about our church and our doctrine and things like that and if you would just uh, put in the offering plate or or to Connie or uh, Amanda that would be great let's close in a word of prayer Father God, we just come before you again, and we're so thankful that you don't give up on us. In spite of all the knowledge that we have about you, um, all the times that we have failed you, and we've let you down, that you uh, never give give up on us. And God, we just can't thank you enough for doing that. Thank you for your word um, that reminds us of these lessons. Uh, Thank you for just your loving kindness that you give to us every day. I pray that you'll give us the power and the strength to be faithful to you, to love you, and to show that love uh, to the dying world around us. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. You are dismissed.